Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Welcome into the Bleachers. This is the Bleacher Blums podcast. My name is Jeff Blum. I am a 14-year Major League veteran. I am now currently working the color commentary for the Astros television side. And usually I have a co-host on here named David Tuttle, but David Tuttle is on vacation, which I hope he is enjoying. He is making the family happy as he travels to Hawaii, and I'm, he better come back with a nice tan. That's all I'm going to ask for next time. Maybe we get a quick video clip and we have Tuttle show us his tan lines. Wouldn't that be exciting? I know that's a little bit frightening, but we both talk baseball. We both talk a lot about sports. We both have families, and we do enjoy talking about just life in general and sports. That's what we do here on the Bleacher Blums podcast. We welcome everybody back. We appreciate all of our fans, and we ask all of you, if you are listening to this podcast, make sure you subscribe. We want you to rate us. We want you to tell us what you think of our podcast moving forward. And we also want you to rate, review, and tell your friends about us. But make sure you subscribe because we are now on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And the more subscriptions we get, the better this podcast is going to be and the better and more fun it's going to be for fans listening at home. And this is going to be a special podcast because without Tuttle here, I took advantage of some of the friendships I have around the league. And I reached out to a guy that everybody knows as Oso Blanco or on Twitter at Bulldog Being. Yes, it is Evan Gaddis. I got him for a good maybe 15, 20 minutes. We talked a little bit about his career in baseball, how he got in, what it meant to him to be in the big leagues, and then, of course, the trade that got him to the Houston Astros in 2015. We talked about that first ball club with the Astros he was on, a young Carlos Correa on that team. He compared it to travel ball. He had some thoughts about the sticky situation in baseball. And he's also got a lot of insight about the current situation with the Houston Astros. He is still a fan. He likes the Astros. And he actually explains in pretty good detail on why he is a fan of the Astros after retiring as an Astros. So look forward to that. That is our St. Arnold's What's on Tap. Is Evan Gaddis coming up with an interview? We're also going to answer some mailbags, or I'm going to answer some mailbag questions at the end of that after the Evan Gaddis interview. So I appreciate all of you tuning in. Remember, you can get to me at Blummer27 on Twitter. You can get to real at Real David Tuttle, my co-host on Twitter also. And of course, the Bleacher Blums is all over social media. And if you want to keep up with the happenings and see some quick video clips, make sure you go to at Bleacher Blums on Twitter and on Instagram. And with that being said, we are going to go ahead and throw it to a sponsor real quick before we get to Evan Gaddis. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. 
Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply. We are back. Thank you to our sponsors for helping us get through this podcast. And of course, what you've all been waiting for, the interview of Evan Gaddis. All right, here we are. I, it is my pleasure to introduce a guy who is our own version, or baseball's version of Goodwill Hunting. A lot of odd jobs, a lot of work before he actually made it to the big leagues. And this guy spent six years in the big leagues, amassed 139 home runs, drove in 410, and had a career batting average of 248. By today's standards, you would be more than a 3 2 outcome guy. And this guy is ex-Astro, Evan Gaddis. It is great to see you in person. In, I wish it was in flesh so we could actually high-five each other and get back to the old times, but it's good to see you, and thank you for coming on, Evan. Good to see you, too, man. It's good to see you, Blummer. Appreciate you having me. This well, cool. it's, it, was, it was bound to happen just because what a lot of people don't know is that Evan and I have, uh, we created a relationship in a lobby of a hotel drinking beers. <laughs> I know that's going to be a lot of shock to people, but Evan is actually a huge fan of, of watching Astros baseball. And we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit because uh, we text back and forth. Evan's got some good insight and I know he's active on Twitter, uh, which a lot of fans love, but uh, I want to, I, knowing what your past is and how hard it was for you to get to the big leagues, I want you to talk to us a little bit and tell the fans what it was like when you finally made it to the big leagues with the Atlanta Braves. Man, well, first of all, I think I made it a lot harder uh, than it had to be. But, I mean, I had talent and everything. And, uh, man, I did not. I was not mature enough. I don't know how some of these kids, I mean, they get money and they're 18 years old. And they're like, I'm just looking at them like, how do you guys, you guys are in pro ball at 18. And you guys have your head on straight. This is awesome. Like, anyway, so there's that. I kind of made it a little harder on myself, but then somehow, some way, made it. And uh, I guess I remember uh, getting called into the office, uh, Freddie Gonzalez's office, and all the coaching staff is in there. It's about the, like, last week, last couple of days of spring training in uh, down at Disney. And it was like, um, like you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, did I did – I, did I do something wrong? <laughs> something I'm like getting called, getting called to the principal's office or something. It's like, uh, and uh, let me know. I was, um, was going to break with the club and um, I just lost it. I, I would walk out of the, the uh, walk out of the uh, coach's office afterwards. And uh, I'm crying. Like I look over Freddie Freeman's looking at me, just like nodding. It's like, he knows the feeling. It's just like cool life goal. But that was the beginning. And um God, I was kind of playing to get sent down in a month whenever McCann came back from his shoulder surgery. So I was like, man, I'm just going to have fun. That's what my agent, Brian Peters, said to me. He's like, hey, man, have fun. Enjoy it. Learn whatever you can. Do whatever you can. Um, you know, we'll see how it plays out with McCann coming back. And, uh, man, a um, few more extra DH games that year. I think uh, a little more interleague games. So they kind of decided to keep uh, to keep three catchers. And uh, let me DH and pinch hit some stuff, and then ended up playing a little left field, which was terrifying. But um, good team, it was fun, man. Somehow I made it through. Somehow my stomach knows it. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, you you had the power, and you like you said, the DH role is it, you know timing is everything, especially when you get to the big leagues. If you're gonna just one thing to get there, but another thing to stick. Yeah. You know what? What do you remember most about that year? Once you found out that you were going to be on that team for a full season, who did you hang around? Who mentored you? Was there anybody you relied on as far as learning how to be in the big leagues? Oh man, we had 
we had a very veteran team. So we had like Reed Johnson was our fourth outfielder um, for, you know, for a career. He made a 300 hitter. He was a, he was a big leaguer. Dan Ugla, BJ Upton. We had a fun team too. Um, McCann, uh, Gerald Laird. God, we had some guys. Who else? I mean, Freddie Freeman was younger than me, but he was kind of like, hey, like, it's just, uh, you just learn about, yeah, how to be in the big leagues and like, where do you fit? And you have to kind of know your role, you know, as a rookie. And um, God, we had a lot of good guys. Tim Hudson, uh, we had some really good, I had some, I can't believe it now looking back. It's like, I mean, it was however many years ago, but it's not that long ago, but man, some good names. Really fun team. Yeah, it was a fun team. And you we talked about Speaking this. Speaking of fun team. <laughs> and we talked about this through text the other day, how we were talking about, you know, watching baseball now that we're not playing and maybe enjoying it a little bit more because the stresses of the physicalness, the mental aspect of it, uh, the grind of the everyday game. And we were talking about that 2015 year was kind of a breakout year for the Houston Astros. And it had to do with you getting traded to the Houston Astros. And I thought it was kind of funny how, you know, in our, in our text back and forth, you know, that's what, that was the year as a broadcaster, I really started to kind of enjoy the aspect of broadcasting because the team was getting better. I, I had a more of a feel for how to broadcast a game, but then all of a sudden you guys exploded and you were the, probably one of the most entertaining teams in all of baseball. You had a young Lance McCullers, you had Carlos Correa splash on the scene. You show up with your beard and you start raking things out of the yard, you know, neck high and you, everybody's going, who is this guy? And you turn into Captain Caveman, but you you compared it to a travel ball team. <laughs> yeah, it's what it felt like. It was like uh, I got goosebumps. I literally got goosebumps right now. That was so fun. We was just like, don't let us beat your ace. Like we would just like we would like work like pitchers and frustrate people. We were so we were underrated, but we were not like I came in with like the expectation of no expectations, like, hey, like, rebuilding, we're getting better, but we'll see how they're going to be. Like, I didn't know. I was just happy to be in Texas, happy to be whatever. And I had no idea the analytics side of the Astros and how smart in AJ, how he ran spring training just from day one. The the little meetings in the beginning, him and Trey, God, they really – the how involved we were as a team, as a unit. It was just so – being on a team that really tried, you know what I mean? It's hard to talk about now because like you, you like, cause the science dealing, we're like, you're like, yeah, no, no kidding. You tried, you tried everything, whatever. But it's like, uh, before that in 2015, six, I was like, wow, this team, I think I like called my mom. I was like, wow, this team is trying. And it was exciting. It was easy to get behind. And I think that's kind of why I'm still an Astros fan. It was like, like, all right, I know the Braves, they spent a lot of money, and they tried, and but it was different here. This was like like a system, how did Crane put it? To build a system that builds itself. It was pretty cool. And uh, I think that's what him and Lunau did. I, th- I was just, I was blown away by it. It was really cool. And then on top of that, somehow just all our personalities, everybody just kind of got to be themselves. God, we all meshed. We had a lot of fun, genuine fun playing. It was really cool, man. No, you, you can tell it in your voice and the purity with which you talk about it. Uh, you know, talk about that season when you guys, you know, halfway through the season, you guys figured out you were pretty good. And then you added Carlos Correa. Did he really have that kind of impact when he showed up? Yeah, he shows up day one with the fedora. And it was like, <laughs> it was funny, though, because he's like, uh, we didn't know. Like, I mean, 
we know this guy is unbelievable all-world talent, right? And But still, there's that part, you know, like in spring training, he's like, he was still, you have to know your place. And he didn't know, you never know. Like, the lights are weird in the big league. It's a nerves game. It's, um, mm-hmm. you find out, like, and we found out. It was awesome. It's fun to watch him now. I love watching him throw the ball across the diamond. Throws it so, like, proper. I know, like, everybody just drops down and does their whatever thing. I just love it. But, yeah, it's fun to watch him. Him, God, I mean, it was just all the talent. Pretty good drafts we did <laughs> for some years. Yeah. That, that's one of the things I think doesn't get talked about enough is how the Astros drafted through that through that portion of their, you know, that uh, the run that they're still on is because of that draft, because you still have the Lance McCullers, you still have uh, Alex Bregman, you and you continue to get these guys. I mean, there's nothing that uh, I'm not sure we'll ever see anything like that, where they have a draft five years in a row where they actually pluck superstars out of, you know, anonymity and put them in the big leagues. Are you, does that surprise you? I mean, it's, it was just... I think Sig had a lot to do with it. I know he was around for a lot of those drafts, and that was he's now with Baltimore, uh, rebuilding with that. But uh, it's just, it just drafted well, and even the guys like I don't know, even some other guys that don't really get talked about so much. It's like it's like what? Where did we get this guy and this guy? It's like some of the waiver claims. Yeah, Colin, Colin McHugh shows up, punches out twelve in his first game. I mean, there were guys on there that you never even heard of that they found and turned into somebody. Yeah, they started elevating. That's when people started cut the ball up and into lefties, and we're like exploring stuff. It was really fun stuff. Spinning the ball, everybody started dra- like uh, the shifting, like just everything. Defensive alignment. I think the Astros are pretty uh, pioneer in that, mm-hmm. like what they did. You know? Yeah. Let's move forward to the the current state of the game here with uh, Major League Baseball. It's, I think it's in an interesting spot. There's a CBA coming up. The Universal DH has the potential. There's there's crazy rules in uh, extra innings with the runner on second base. Relievers have to face three guys at a time. Uh, but one of the interesting things I've found is that th- the sticky stuff rule is back in effect, and I'm not sure if anybody's had the chance to ask you about it. But I'm curious what your thoughts are about it because you're you're pretty fresh out of the game only a couple years removed and being a catcher knowing some of the things that you know how what is your position on the sticky stuff and how do you feel about major league baseball and the way they're handling it we talked about this a little bit and um i understand like the hitters like i mean we you were saying like i understand why these hitters are like i mean this pitching is freaking good these days this is it's amazing it's it's awesome. Even when you're on the other end of it, it's like holy smoke. This is this is pretty impressive stuff. To see the guys, uh, I think it's kind of cool to still see how nasty these guys are without that stuff. I think I don't know. I think they just probably had to, I don't know, kind of relearn how to uh, how to shape their stuff or how to spin it and uh, or how to control it more. I thought everybody was going to get yeah. hit. Like I thought a lot of guys were going to get me too domed up i thought it was going to be like kind of a danger thing and um i guess that's not too true is it and i haven't paid any attention to like overall pitching numbers um i just did i haven't dove into any stats about like who's getting worse Mm -hmm. with it or you know what i mean yeah there there haven't been real spikes in any numbers or anything like that i don't feel like walk rates have gone up i don't feel like hit by pitches have gone up um, it's just, it was more or less just a controversy because, you know, it was taboo. That was something that was never, yeah. never talked about before it was accepted, I guess, so to speak. And then all of a sudden <clears throat> the spider tech comes in 
and everybody felt like spin rates were going up. And that might be the one thing that has changed. Spin rates have gone down a little bit, but you talked about guys will just adapt and learn how to spin it differently or shape it differently to still get the same effect. Yeah, I was still just worried. Like Blake training the other day, it's like, holy smoke, against Lance. Like, oh, man. Like, what What was that? Anyway. But, yeah, cutters at 95. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Oh man, that's not a cutter. It's a festival. Oh wait, yeah, now it's a cutter. After I uh, don't miss that. But yeah, I think the the, the only thing I worried. I, I was like, man, why don't they just let them put bullfrog and yep and whatever outside out there, or let I don't know. You can't let everybody use anything like they want. I don't think. I don't know. I guess I think what what yeah. um, where it uh, where the punishment is good is you don't get that roster spot, do you? If you're off, like if you're suspended feel that so guys know they're going to hurt their team if they care you know what i mean so nobody's going to be doing anything so that kind of i think that kind of probably put everything in check i don't know if it needed to be policed or not i mean it was only i was two years removed or three years now removed so i don't know Eh, i don't know what i think about i don't really care too much either way Uh, well that that seems to be that seems to be the growing consensus now that you know, you're, you're every, I think everybody's annoyed seeing pitchers get checked now. It's like, okay, the first week you could understand guys making the adjustment and who's going to push the envelope. But now, I think now guys are pretty accepting of the fact yeah. that, like you said, they've adjusted so they're able to move on. But uh, this this 2021 team, are you surprised that the Astros are as good as they are right now? I mean, uh, no, because last year was weird, but flat out weird. Happy to see them as good as they are. Uh, yeah. Earlier in the year, I was um, I was kind of I was kind of a little worried about how how well we we're built. Seeing some guys bullpens, I hate bringing it up, but um, earlier in the season, I was like, wow, I don't know, I don't know if these guys, I don't know if we got it, you know. And uh, now it's looking like, it, it, you know, you get to the postseason, mm-hmm. as you know as well as anybody. It's like, okay, get to the postseason. Okay, first five games are kind of crazy it's like five wild card games almost it's just like okay now we got it, it's unbelievable like okay we're running verlander out of the pen we're running lance out of the pen we're in uh charlie morton out of the, it's like what like it was unbelievable and vice versa with them we get sale halfway through a game it's like okay game game on holy cow so uh <laughs> seeing how guys can match miss and match or miss just match that up uh in a, in a five game series it's kind of more scary to me than in a seven i think seven kind of there's a little more there's a little less it turns more into baseball you know just a, a good how well are you built all the way through mm-hmm. kind of team and i think we got that i mean i think we got enough to at least like it, it's it's going to be very entertaining regardless uh and then we'll have a chance you know for sure and that's all i could, i mean that's where i think no i totally agree I'm always curious about outside perspective because, you know, being on the inside like I am and obviously being a homer, you know, being pro pro Astro and all the, you know, sometimes I can gloss over some of those things and just say that they're the greatest team ever. But out of the shoot, when I saw their offense, I knew that they were going to be good. But that 2019 with team with them being compared with the Bronx Bombers of the 1920s and 30s. Uh, it kind of blew me away. And then to see them this season without George Springer at the top of the lineup, 
uh, go out and still put up numbers. That's one of the things that kind of shocked me, and I think that's why adding those guys in the bullpen to shut down those games that you actually do have the lead in is paramount. And you know that from experience in the postseason, how important it is having that lockdown bullpen against some of these offenses. Yeah, it's, uh, it's way important, especially like, um, you know, our starters are good, but we take some pressure off them. It's like it's like getting your wedge shot closer to the green, you know what I mean, or whatever. It's like, it's like we yep. Course, like okay, now these guys we get less pressure. They don't got to get out of as many tight jams or whatever. They can, you know, throw less pitches in a game. And with the added days off in the in the postseason, now you can, you know, you can build backwards from the from the closer. You know, you can use more of your relief trust. And uh, so that's kind of, I mean, that's nice for everybody for the starters whenever that happens. So it's kind of just like making the court. You don't have to get a Scherzer to go out and throw eight innings and then put in Presley, you know? Exactly. So that's kind of cool. And then, like, whenever they shape up the 25 – I mean, granted, it's so early. It's very early. we got, like, 50-something more games or whatever. But um, granted, they get to the postseason. It will be interesting how they shape up the bullpen and what they're going to want to take and what guys will be in the bullpen that are starters, you know, or that have started. So it'll yep. be – we. Got, I mean – got weapons for sure. Yes, they do. And it will be fun to see them. I believe they get to the postseason, but I'm going to put you on the spot right now, and I'm going to ask you for your prediction on the Astros, not just the rest of the way, but take me through the playoff scenarios that you've kind of played out, if you have any, as far as the Astros. I think they play pretty good. I swear, I really haven't yet. Um, I, basically, all I've looked for is teams that have... You, you still got that player mentality where you know you've got two months to go. Totally. I, uh, and I, I'm just starting to look at teams like uh, guys that could, that scare me. Like who could beat us? Who could? Who could beat us in baseball? Anybody? Mm-hmm. But who still scares me? You know, the White Sox are to me are looking good. But uh, you know, we had played. We played a ton of good teams. You know, and so it's going to see how how uh, how them and the A's kind of what they do, and if the the Astros get on a roll here which could very well happen and just obliterate teams. That would be cool. I mean, it's nice to go into the end of September with a little bit of a cushion, but just teams that scare me, I don't worry about the national league yet. It's just like, dude, you got to the freaking world series to play them anyway. Uh, but those teams are good. That's fun. That's a fun, uh, that's a fun, um, you know, West and the East. And, um, you know, those games are all tight, but I don't think those teams are as good. White Sox scare me. The Yankees, they can't play this bad this long, I don't think, but it does not look fun to be a Yankee. It, it, it hasn't for, like, the last two months. It looks like misery over there. And uh, it's just like, I don't know what happened, if it's, like, chemistry or if the guys are just all for themselves or just, like, building a cocoon for one and just, like, get away from me, media. <laughs> and, like, uh, you know what I mean? It, yeah. Uh, that, they they kind of – Boston's good. Uh, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay, I mean, these teams are good. I'm just happy. I'm, another thing I'm happy. Sneaky good. Is, as a fan, I'm happy. As a player, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be. But, like, uh, a lot of teams are trying. and A lot of teams are good this year. Like, uh, there's, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's some teams that are just absolutely, there's no chance. But some of these teams are really good. And whenever that one year in 17, there's, like, a lot of teams playing for last place, it seemed like, you know? Yeah. I've got one last question for you, and it just kind of popped into my head because the Astros just got done playing in Dodgers Stadium, and I, I, I know that you've seen games on the road, 
How, how, what are your emotions when you're watching ex-teammates go into some of those environments and play where they're just getting screamed at incessantly? Right now I get, at the moment, for whatever reason, I'm emotional, but like pitch one of that game, it was like the juice before the, the, before the first pitch, it was like I was there. It's like, holy smoke. You could tell I was, uh, I was looking at who was sitting next to me. It's like, man, you can't tell it, but that is loud. That's 58. Right. I was really, I was really sad after the cheating scandal came out for some of our players because I wasn't playing anymore, so I didn't have to wear it as much as them. But just to know how how much like these guys love baseball, just like they worked their whole life to and love baseball, and it sucks. So it's like it sucks that they're just like forever, you know, like uh, that they get that's unfortunately that's the way that's what we did and that's what will happen so a lot of people just always remember them for that but i don't know i know them yep we do you're you're a good dude evan i can't thank you enough for coming on this podcast and i cannot wait to uh see you hang out with you i I appreciate the text during the game uh i know that the i know you i know you still keep in contact with guys in that clubhouse so we, we appreciate you and thank you for coming on man all right brother dude take care I tell you what, it was great having Evan Gaddis on. He is truly a fan, and there's probably nobody in this game who speaks more purely about baseball. You can really see and hear how he feels about the game inside of, ba- of baseball. It means so much to him because he had to work so hard to get there, number one. But when he was there, he also worked hard to get some of that success. He's been brutally honest about situations he's been in, both on and off the field. So we always love having Evan Gaddis on. And don't discount the fact that we may have him on in future episodes just to kind of get some more insight, and maybe have some more conversations with Oso Blanco. Just because he's great, he's entertaining, And we love having them in that Astro family and talking on this Bleacher Blum podcast. So appreciate you, Evan, coming on. Make sure you follow him at Bulldog being on Twitter. And with that being said, and after the enjoyment of that interview, we're going to head in. We're going to bring in our producer, Mark Ramos, who's going to sit in. And he has gotten some questions from fans across social media who are big fans of Bleacher Blums. And we always appreciate the questions that come in. What do you got for us, Mark? Thanks, Blum. Since we got to speak with Evan Gaddis, I wanted to have some of these questions be a little bit more catcher-biased, so here we go. Uh, The first question is, why are there no left-handed catchers? (laughs) It's a good question. Is that that an odd question? (laughs) It is, and you don't see any of them. It would be interesting if somebody had the database to actually go back and and, and try and see if there were, because I think through Little League and and some of the amateur levels before you get into high school, I think everybody had at least one athlete that was good enough to go back there and catch. And I think a lot of it has to do with how the bases are set up. If the base runners were running to third base first and then to second base and then to first base as third base, I think you'd see more left-handed catchers because I think the way that the game is set up with everybody running in a, what is that, counterclockwise fashion around the base pads is what lends itself to right-handed catchers being more efficient. The only one they're really not efficient going to is first base. Otherwise, if they're throwing to second base, it seems to be a natural motion where they don't have to turn their shoulders too much. But that throw to third base is really the one that kind of opens itself up to the opportunity to maybe make a little bit easier throw than it would be for a left-handed catcher. And think about this, taking it to the next level. If there's a play at home plate, much like if there's a right-handed, a right-handed throwing first baseman where they catch and have to go across their body to tag that base runner, 
how about at home plate? Right-handed throwing catchers have the glove in the left hand, and that'll be closer to the base runner when they catch that throw to go for that swipe tag. So those might be some of the reasons, but it doesn't uh, doesn't discount the fact that maybe somebody is good enough to be able to make it happen, and wouldn't that be crazy if it did after we talked about it? The last left-handed catcher to play in the big leagues was Benny DiStefano, who caught three games for the Pittsburgh Pirates in 1989. Wow. So before DiStefano, there was... It had only been a handful. That's crazy. 1989, the last time. That's, so, that's ages ago compared to now. Walking up to the plate, did you have any interesting interactions with catcher? Um, n- no, not, not too many. I, I was usually the, you know, the tap on the shin guard. Not even a tap on the shin guard. Usually I'd come up and just tip my cap kind of thing and be like, hey, you know, it, how's it going? What's up? Uh, I had the only really interesting interactions I had you know, and if one of them was with Brad Osmus for obvious reasons, and I'll, I'll tell you that story real quick. But before that, look, uh, Jonathan LaCroix, who is a rookie catcher, I was with Houston, and I, I remember digging in, and he he's catching, and he catches a pitch from a pitcher, and it's on the edge. It's called a ball. And all of a sudden, this guy from behind home plate start, starts going, man, great pitch. It's okay. It's on the edge. Here we go, buddy. Come on out. And starts, like, basically cheering for his pitcher. And I kind of stepped out and I was, by this time I'm, you know, eight or nine years in, I'm grumpy, I'm old, you know, and I'm like, who is this kid screaming at the pitcher and cheering him on? I'm like, bro, are you for real? I go, I go, do you need pom-poms? And he kind of gave me a look like, like, oh my gosh, what did you just say to me? And he just kind of clammed up real quick and the bat went on. So that was the only weird interaction I've ever really had. But in uh, 2005, I'm playing with the San Diego Padres. I get traded the White Sox. We go to the World Series. Everybody knows that one. But I'm digging in. As I'm digging in, Brad Osmus is the catcher. And it couldn't have been more bizarre to dig into the left-handed batter's box at Minute Maid Park and have one of my good friends from two years previous in Brad Osmus behind home plate. So as I'm digging in, I'm like, hey, Brad, how's it going? And, uh, you know, it kind of calmed me down a little bit. And as we're talking, we get into a little more of our regular commentary to each other, shall we say. And I said, hey, man. I know you've got that house in San Diego. He's talking about his house in uh, San Diego. And I, and I said, yeah, man, I go, it's a beautiful place. And I go, I couldn't thank you more for allowing me to stay there with your wife while I was playing in San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) And, 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 and if you said that to just random people on the street, of course, you'd probably start a street fight, but because it was Brad Osmus, it went over extremely well. And I got a smile out of him and it was highly entertaining. And I kind of chuckled a little bit too. And, uh, I had just had, I just had the triplets that year and he, he, he comes back at me and goes, Hey, thanks for taking care of my triplets. And I was just like, man, it was was just, it it was too good to be true. It was just one of those random freaky conversations. But the fact that it happened at the world series kind of made it a little bit more, more entertaining, but that's kind of how the, that's probably the best interaction I've had with a catcher is with Brad Osmus back there. As fans watching the broadcast, what signs can we look for from the catcher to tell if there's going to be a pickoff play or a pitch out type play? Yeah, some of the basics that don't change and you really don't need, you know, to to mask what signs you're giving because they're pretty universal. You know, there, there's usually a fist. Will it usually mean pickoff? Uh, there will be a fist and then you take your thumb and kind of like flick it out from your uh, pointer finger and you'll just give a motion like that and that will mean pickoff. Uh, sometimes they'll put down the bullhorns upside down, which will be like, you know, maybe a pitch out. If you see the catcher put his hand down, all the fingers straight down and wait and, and basically hit the inside of both of his thighs going back and forth. 
that'll be the shakeoff where you'll see the pitcher kind of try and deke the hitter by shaking his head no. That's one of them. If you see the hand down and kind of swiping towards the pitcher, that'll just be, you know, step off at some point. You know, maybe they'll come set with a fast guy at the plate, hold for a second or two, and then step off. That will be one of them. And then uh, just watch where, you know, where they point. You know, sometimes if they want that fastball to the inside, it'll be the point to a right-handed hitter. They'll point with their pointer finger to the inside corner of the plate. And if they want it on the outside corner, they'll do, you know, one sign with the pinky and point to the outside corner. So those are just some of the basics that uh, you can keep an eye on that aren't too deceptive. And a lot of people know those. And as a matter of fact, runners at first base will peek in to see if they can see some of those signs or some of the oddities in the sequence to kind of indicate to them when they're throwing over. And speaking of signs and how we discussed, you know, y'all's trades last uh, last couple podcasts, how hard is it to learn new signs going to a new team? You'd be amazed, you know, how similar some of these signs are, you know, with wipe-offs and, uh, the, you know, the indicators, you know, or what's the hot sign. Uh, sometimes they vary from, you know, first three innings to the second, third innings to the last third innings. Um, but yeah, it's it's a little more intimidating just because you're the new guy and you don't want to screw anything up. But for the most part, they do a good job of simplifying some of these signs. I think it's more interesting. And when we see things like we saw with Kendall Graveman and Toro getting traded within the division, because you're going to have you're going to have experience against teams frequently playing each other 19 times inside the division, because if Toro goes over there, he's got to change his signs. And then when Kendall Graveman comes over, he's going to, you know, probably divulge some of the Mariner signs. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, espionage going on in that way where you try and figure out the opposing team. So not only does Toro have to learn a new set of signs, the Astros themselves, after trading Toro to a uh, division rival, will probably also alter their signs a little bit too. So there's a lot going on and they'll change them. You know, teams, I've been on teams where they'll change them every 60 games. All right, Mark, I appreciate the questions from the fans. And of course, you got to remember that you can go to bleacherblums.com, go to the mailbag and send us questions and comments. We will potentially read them on our podcast here in the near future. And also go to at bleacherblums and uh, send your messages there. That's where Mark accrues. A lot of this stuff is on social media and through the website. So we appreciate all of our fans subscribing, rating, reviewing sending us questions, inquiring, picking our brains. That's what we are here for. We appreciate you coming to the bleachers. And of course, at the end of every Bleacher Blums podcast, we always give the military a shout out for keeping our borders safe, both domestic and abroad. We appreciate you going into harm's way and providing us the safety we need to have these kinds of things and these conversations. All of the first responders, EMTs, firemen and women, policemen and women, everything you do, we appreciate you here on the Bleacher Blums. And of course, all the frontline workers and essential workers who are still grinding through this pandemic and doing the great work that allows us to go out there and try and have as much of a normal life as we can as we get through this pandemic. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Evan Gaddis. I hope you enjoyed some of the answers to the questions we had in our mailbag. And also remember, next time you tune in, there's a good chance David Tuttle will be back. So if you missed him, he will be back and we will welcome him with open arms right here in the bleachers. And of course, get after it and believe it. I didn't know this was going to be on a video. Are we still recording?